98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. The first Legislative Council election since a major overhaul will have as many as 154 candidates vying for 90 seats. Police charge a former officer with sedition over comments made online about the death of a Marine inspector and the government tightens infection control measures for flight control members after two recent imported cases and a top Communist Party researcher says President Xi Jinping's leadership has been vital for the country. Up to 154 candidates will compete for 90 Legislative Council seats in the December elections, the first to be held since an electoral overhaul. Nominations closed this afternoon. Francis It reports. The 154 nominations is the same number as for the 2016 polls, even though the number of seats has risen from 70 to 90. 51 hopefuls have come forward to contest the 40 seats up for grabs in the newly established election committee constituency. There are 68 would-be candidates hoping to run for the 30 functional constituency seats, and 35 people are looking to participate in direct elections for the remaining 20 geographical constituency seats. That means as a whole, the functional constituency elections may be the most competitive, with an average of more than two would-be candidates for each individual race. As things stand now, none of the functional constituency seats will be returned uncontested. Competition is the fiercest in the medical and health services sector, with six potential candidates, while 15 incumbents are seeking re-election. The final candidate list will only emerge after all hopefuls are vetted by a review body headed by Chief Secretary John Lee, who has said results will be announced by November the 26th. Police say they've arrested and charged a man over comments he allegedly made online in relation to the death of a Marine Police Senior Inspector. Officers say the former policeman who's been charged with seditious intent was arrested yesterday in Sha Tin. He was granted bail after his appearance at the West Kowloon Court and his case has been adjourned to January 14th next year. Detectives say comments posted by the 26-year-old on social media allegedly caused hatred for the government or stirred up public discontent. The government says it will tighten infection control measures for flight crew members after two of them were among the city's recent imported COVID-19 cases. All local aircrew staff are required to get the third dose of vaccine. Cargo, cargo crew members will be subject to daily testing on their return to Hong Kong and stricter restrictions will be imposed during their medical surveillance period. Airlines have also been asked to assign monitoring staff to ensure crew members comply with a closed-loop system when they're working overseas. This week's move to establish Xi Jinping's position at the core of the Communist Party answers the call of history, a top party researcher says. Zhang Jinchun says it would be unthinkable not to have Mr Xi's leadership. Damon Fang reports. Mr Jiang, who heads the party's Central Committee's Policy Research Office, says establishing Mr Xi and his guiding thoughts as a core position of the Communist Party will be decisive for China's developments under the new era. To establish General Secretary Xi's core position on the Party Central Committee and in the party as a whole is the call of the times, the choice of history and the aspiration of the people. By firmly supporting and upholding General Secretary Xi's core position, the whole party will have an anchor, the entire Chinese people will have a backbone, and the giant vessel of China's rejuvenation will have a steady hand on the tiller. Mr. Jiang says being as China is such a massive country, and given there are more than 95 million party members, it would have been hard to achieve anything if the party had no core. In response to a question from Phoenix TV, Mr. Jiang also noted that Mr. Xi's thoughts on developing a whole process people's democracy for the country was written in plenary documents. 
Mr. Jiang said China's system is highly democratic and deeply supported by its people. With Comrade Xi Jinping at its core, has remained committed to the political development path of socialism with Chinese characteristics and resisted the erosion of so-called Western constitutional governance, multi-party rotation and separation of powers, and embarked on a democratic path of developing whole-process people's democracy. China's whole-process people's democracy is a complete systemic chain. Mr. Jiang said the Chinese democratic system is genuine, comprehensive and complete with people's participation. He also accused Washington of trying to suppress other countries and split the world by hosting a so-called democracy summit next month, saying it will be held at a time when there are many problems with Western democracies. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Although the historical resolution looks at the whole hundred-year history of the Communist Party, it really focuses on the period since 2012, when Xi Jinping took over as the head of the Communist Party. Professor Wang Xintong says this makes sense because the party's achievements up to then have been well documented. He says President Xi's new era is about achieving common prosperity and social justice. What's important for the Communist Party of China is that it has always adapted Marxism into the Chinese reality. And Mao Zedong did that significantly. And the succeeding leaders, including Deng Xiaoping, uh, Zhang Zemin, Hu Jintao, all did all, you know, all made uh, significant endeavors to incorporate Marxism with the Chinese reality. Now, coming back to the new era, I think uh, what's important in this new theory, um, the continued theory or renewed theory on socialism with Chinese characteristics in the new era is that it has further incorporated Marxist ideas of achieving social justice, common prosperity is part of that, and to you know, reconcile the differences and conflicts between social classes. And the way of doing it is to adopt the new developmentalism. It, because only through development can China shred off the burden of class differences and other baggages that prevents China from further development. Professor Wang Xintong speaking to CGTN News. Over 13,000 people have had a chance to look at the M-Plus Museum, which opened this morning. Here's Aaron Tam. There were already over a hundred people queuing up at M-Plus this morning. They told RTHK why they came early and what they wanted to see. Because it's a, the first international mega art center here, so I want to come to here. And I want to see um, Iwiwi's uh, art. I think it will be a very unforgettable experience. A lot of museums has a long history, like 20 years or 30 years, but this is a brand new one, right? It will be a new event in the cultural area, you know? M-plus director Sahania Raffel says she's not worried that a few visitors were disappointed that they didn't get to see some controversial art pieces, like Ai Weiwei's middle finger photo collection. She said the curatorial team has included major works by contemporary Chinese artists. We have curated exactly what we wanted to show, and you can see it upstairs, including major works by Weiwei, major works by Zhang Jiaogang, major works by Liu Wei. The museum says walk-ins will not be available over the weekend and urged the public to make reservations online. The Danish sculptor of a statue commemorating those who died on June 4, 1989 in Beijing has asked SAR authorities for immunity from the national security law so he can come and take it back to Denmark. The University of Hong Kong has earlier called for the pillar of shame to be removed from the campus.
Priscilla Ng reports. In an open letter, Jens Gelschut said he is willing to take the statue back to Denmark, but he needs to be in the city to make sure it's dismantled properly. The sculpture is very difficult to move, and it will require considerable expertise to move it from the area at the university without causing significant and irreparable damage to the costly sculpture. He wrote. The sculptor also called for assurances that he would not be prosecuted under the national security law, saying the legislation provides a legal basis for authorities to arrest foreign nationals who engage in activities that criticize China. Mr. Gaoshut said he is worried that the removal of the statue will lead to activities and media coverage that could be perceived as criticism of China, and he needs to get a guarantee from the authorities that he and his colleagues won't be prosecuted. In response to RTHK's inquiry, the government said it won't comment on specific cases. However, it should be pointed out that whether a person violates the NSL would depend on the actual circumstances of the case, including the facts, the relevant acts, and the mens rea, the evidence gathered, etc. The matter will be handled in accordance with the law, a government spokesperson said. The spokesperson added that in exercising immigration control, the immigration department will act in accordance with the relevant laws and policies. HKU has so far not responded to a request for comment. An expert on medical ethics says Hong Kong should consider introducing vaccine passports, saying it would be vital for the city to reopen to the rest of the world because of the pandemic. University of Hong Kong Associate Professor of Law Kelvin Ho, who's also a member of the World Health Organization's Ethics and Governance Working Group, said it's very unlikely that COVID-19 will disappear the way SARS did in 2003. He said that's why the zero-case strategy can't be maintained forever. The scholar said Hong Kong can make reference to Israel and France's use of vaccine passports to manage the pandemic. Their objective is to live with the virus. That's why they've been encouraging their people to get jabs. Israel has a rather high vaccination rate. We also have to aim for that goal. The world is starting to reopen. It can't remain closed indefinitely. If the rest of the world is thinking in that direction, Hong Kong should start considering it too. An inquest jury has unanimously returned an open verdict on the death of a man two days after he received a coronavirus jab. Jimmy Choi reports. Tim Bo Lee, who was 63, got the Sinovac vaccine at a community centre at Kunchung Sports Centre on February the 26th, the day Hong Kong's vaccination campaign started. Experiencing shortness of breath two days later, he sought treatment in hospital but died the same day. As witnesses, the coroner's court summoned relatives of Mr. Lee, his friends, pathologists, and doctors who treated him. Directing the jurors before they deliberated on their verdict, Coroner Monica Chow gave them two options to choose from. She said the jury should rule that Mr. Lee had died of natural causes if it accepted the testimonies of doctors and pathologists regarding existing heart problems and a heart attack, saying this would mean the jury believed his death was not related to the jab. Alternatively, the jury could return an open verdict if it was not satisfied with the experts' testimonies and believed that there were other factors leading to the death. After a four-hour deliberation, the jurors reached an open verdict. They recommended that health officials are clearer on pamphlets in future regarding which patients with uncontrolled chronic diseases should not get the Sinovac jab. The government says it expects the local economy to grow 6.4% this year. That's close to the upper end of the estimated growth range at forecast in August. Government economist Andrew O oh says the local economic outlook continues to hinge on how the pandemic unfolds.
The pace of global economic recovery seems to have slowed somewhat in recent months due to the surge in COVID-19 Delta variant infections and the pandemic-induced supply and transportation bottlenecks in many places. This may weigh on the performance of our exports of goods going forward. There are other external uncertainties that also require our attention. These include those relating to the energy and commodity prices, major central bank's monetary policy stance, China-U.S. relations, and geopolitical tensions. The U.S. pharmaceutical giant Johnson & Johnson has announced plans to split its operations into two separate companies. Its consumer health arm that sells Band-Aids and baby powder will be turned into a new publicly traded firm. J&J will retain its pharmaceutical unit. A statement said the separation would be complete in 18 to 24 months. Johnson & Johnson shares rose 5% on the news. And now to sport, and for a preview of this weekend's World Cup qualifying action, here's the BBC's John Bennett. France will qualify for Qatar 2022 if they beat Kazakhstan this weekend. A draw could also be good enough if the game between Bosnia and Herzegovina and Finland also ends level. Didier Deschamps' side will be without Paul Pogba, who could miss the remainder of 2021 after suffering a thigh injury. Another of European football's strongest sides, Belgium, will book a spot at the World Cup with a win against Estonia. Meanwhile, the Netherlands will qualify if they win in Montenegro and Norway fail to beat Latvia. Dutch head coach Louis van Gaal has led his side on a five-match unbeaten run. In Africa, all eyes will be on Ghana against South Africa. Only the ten group winners in that continent progress to the playoffs, the final round of World Cup qualifying. The two nations are in the same group, so one of them will be eliminated on Sunday Ghana need a win, but a draw would be good enough for South Africa. And in South America, Brazil and Argentina will meet for the first time since a bizarre encounter back in September was suspended when Brazilian health officials stormed the pitch. Brazil have already booked their spot at the World Cup. Those are some of the big matches to look forward to in World Cup qualifying over the next few days. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. The first LegCo elections into major overhaul will have up to 154 candidates vying for 90 seats. The government tightens infection control measures for flight crew members after two recent imported cases. And a top Communist Party researcher says President Xi Jinping's leadership has been vital for the country. On to the weather forecast. It'll be mainly fine and dry cloudy periods overnight with a minimum temperature of about 20 degrees in urban areas, slightly lower in the new territories. We'll have a maximum of about 26 degrees tomorrow. Moderate northeasterly winds occasionally fresh offshore and it'll be mainly fine and dry in the next few days. The red fire danger warning remains in place. Currently it's 22 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 58%. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 
chiffons, of course, one fine day, mostly up-tempo music in this hour, our second hour together on this Friday night here in Hong Kong. Peter King with you through till one, our sentimental journey, of course, at five past midnight. The 70s predominantly, of course, uh, still form again now and uh, again for special occasions. Uh, the uh, special they had on TVB for Uncle Rakey Hero, they uh, reformed there. Alan Tam, of course, Kenny B, also Bennett Pang, Danny Yip and Anthony Chan. They all went their separate ways as uh, cancer.